dealt with this chapter about three or four weeks ago. Uh, we dealt with the first 12 verses with the theme, A Man Called Jesus. And as we studied those 12 verses, we learned and understand that this man called Jesus is really God the Son, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He is the anointed one that was prophesied out of the Old Testament. Now as we come to chapter or verses 13 through 41, here we have where triumph and tragedy meet. You see, here's a record of the two greatest extremes that intersected in the life of Jesus Christ. It was the greatest triumph for the blind man to gain his sight and to be saved, but the greatest tragedy for the Pharisees in willful blindness. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times, to quote somebody else. It was an occasion to be the happiest of moments, but also the occasion to be the saddest of moments. Here we have a sampling from the parable that the Lord gave of the different soils. We have a sampling of that good soil that is ready to receive the seed and a sampling of that hard, stony trail that will not allow the seed of the Word of God to penetrate. It becomes the pinnacle of belief as well as the pinnacle of unbelief. This is one of the themes that you will see as you read through the book of John. Truth is given, and what will be the response? Believe or believe not? Over and over. And as we get towards, I think it's towards the end of chapter 20, John says, these things have I written that you might believe. All of these happen to give somebody the opportunity to believe. But unfortunately, more did not believe than did believe. If you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word, I invite you to stand. And I will begin reading from verse 13. I'm going to read the rest of this chapter so that we get the context of what we are considering this morning. John 9:13. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such a miracle? And there was a division among them. They say unto the blind man, What sayest thou of him, that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him, that he had been blind and received his sight, until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. 
These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Do understand, before I read further, when it talks about the Jews, it is using that uh, euphematically of the Pharisees, the leadership. It wasn't the people at large that was threatening to put this man out of the synagogue or out of the temple. Uh, It was the Jews or the Pharisees or the leadership of the Jews that were saying that. Therefore, he said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know not, we, we know that this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that, whereas I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him, Again, what did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple. But we, we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, and as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened Mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God, he doeth his will, him he heareth. Let me stop there for just a moment. That statement, now we know that God heareth not sinners. He's quoting a couple of passages from the Old Testament. Here's what we understand. The only prayer promise that an unbeliever has is that when a sinner repents of his sin and puts his faith in Jesus Christ, God has promised to hear and answer that prayer. The unbeliever has no other prayer promise. Now, that does not mean that an omniscient and omnipresent God cannot hear their prayer. That doesn't mean that God never answers the prayer of a lost person. But what we understand is the only promise of an answer that God gave is a prayer unto salvation. You and I as believers have a multitude of promises even when it comes to prayer from our Lord. Now let's continue on. Verse 32. Since the world began, it was not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sin, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He, being the blind man that received his sight, he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came, come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, 
If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. Father, we come to you. What a passage. What a record. And Lord, we we ask that as we study this passage and understand these two extremes, that the Spirit of God could work in our hearts. For the believers to have a stronger faith in their Lord and, and a stronger relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And likewise, have a stronger commitment to ask others if they believe. And then, Father, if there is anyone here this morning or listening to this broadcast that are without Christ as their Savior, Father, I pray that as we consider this message, they would consider the seriousness of unbelief. But not only unbelief, but willful unbelief. Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts and you could penetrate that hard wall of unbelief and bring them to repentance and faith. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This morning I want to study the heart of these two extremes. And I want to begin with that hard, stony trail that is found in the heart of unbelief of the Pharisees. Here's a case of willful blindness. You see, it is not a case of they cannot believe, but it is a case of they will not believe, no matter how strong the validating evidences may be. The Bible gives us evidences for our faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 talks about evidences for our faith. As believers, we are not uh, commanded or asked or invited to simply believe out of blindness and out of just gullibility. But God gives us evidences to justify our faith in Jesus Christ. And here we have these Pharisees. God had given them evidence upon evidence upon evidence upon evidence, and yet they still chose not to believe. It is not someone who is in a foreign country that has never heard the gospel, and so they do not not know who or what to believe. But here is a group of people in religious leadership that had all of the evidences, all of the scriptural truth at their hands with the greatest of opportunities to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But they chose not to do that. And so herein we are dealing with willful unbelief. They used five malicious tactics in this debate and in this argument and in an attempt to discredit Christ and in an attempt to discredit the blind that received his sight. We first see that they try to cast doubt and create a division. In verse 16, as we read uh, through this chapter, uh, this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. But then if you look at verse 33, and and in this means to try to cast doubt, they used deductive reasoning. And they said, um, 
You know, since he's not keeping the Sabbath, he can't be of God. And the irony is they have a false reasoning. The Lord Jesus Christ was not validating or violating, rather, the, the Sabbath day as God had given it. But what he was violating was the Sabbath day as man had perverted it. Uh, do understand, we can appreciate that the Jews were very jealous about keeping the Sabbath day. You go back to the Old Testament, and one of the reasons that was given to them why they spent 70 years in captivity in Babylon before they were able to come back is because for 490 years, every seventh year was supposed to be a Sabbath of the land, and they were supposed to let the land rest. And the Lord said, because you violated that and did not keep that year, this land is going to get its rest for 70 years, and you're going into captivity. So when they came back at the end of those 70 years, one thing that they were committed to (coughs) is that they would never work on the Sabbath. They would keep the Sabbath. Well, unfortunately... They lost the heart of why the Sabbath was given as a sign to the Jews and as a day of rest. And they turned it into a religious ritual and in such a minutia of, of regulations that it was almost impossible for anybody to keep. And it was in all of their minutia that they didn't like what Jesus did here. And so they used deductive reasoning. Well, he healed somebody on the Sabbath, so he can't be of God. But, you know, anytime you try to use deductive reasoning, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Because in deductive reasoning, basically what you're doing is you already have your determined conclusion. So you're trying to reason through all of this to justify your conclusion. In verse 33, quite frankly, the blind man used deductive reasoning as well. He said, if if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. You see, deductive reasoning can come up with almost any conclusion you want. And that's what was happening in this event. And so they tried to cast doubt. Do you know who started using that to destroy the work of God? Satan did in the Garden of Eden. Yea, hath God said. And so they began by trying to cast doubt and create division. Their next malicious tactic was... They used disputations from doubt. That didn't work. And you see, they build and they get a little more malicious one step after another. And so they use disputations or or arguments. They dispute whether this truly was the blind man that everybody thought. They said, is this really the blind man that was born blind and that you think? Maybe he just looks like him. And wasn't really him. And he's saying that he was blind and he's not blind. Now, you know, for me, I can understand that. Have you ever mistaken somebody and thought they were somebody else? I see some shaking the head. Has anybody come across and seen you and said, Oh, you look just like somebody else. Share an incident that happened to Mrs. Miller and I. 
when I was going to Bible college uh, several years ago. We, we went to visit a church. And as we walked into the church, the pastor, his wife, and his probably high school to college-age daughter was standing right beside the pastor's wife. And as we walked in, and uh, my wife shook the hand, and then I shook the hand of the daughter, and then uh, they were greeting us coming into church. And the daughter says, you look just like, and I don't know, don't remember the name. They knew who it was. You just look just like so-and-so. And she nudges her mom, and her mom turns and looks at me and kind of lights up. And the daughter says to the mom, he looks just like, and she says, yes, he does. And here they're making a big scene that I look just like whoever it was. And then the wife turns to the husband and nudges the husband and says, doesn't he look just like, and they're making such a scene. And the pastor, who is the husband, the father of these two, you can see it in his eyes. Shut up. You're embarrassing him. You're embarrassing us. They're guests. (laughs) I have no idea who I'm supposed to look like, but evidently I look like somebody to them. Very much so. Well, I suppose that's possible. I don't know, maybe these Jewish leadership, maybe they really did know the guy, but they were trying to cast a doubt and and dispute in an argument. Maybe they didn't. It doesn't say whether they knew him or not. But they tried creating an argument. Have you ever had somebody come up and say, well, you're not really you? Uh, Well, when I looked in the mirror this morning, it looked like me. But here they are. They're trying to deny that this was him. And they tried to create a dispute through all of this. And then, well, okay, this was the guy that was supposed to be born blind. But was he really born blind? So now they bring another argument into. Because, you know, there have been people that got hit on the head and they lost their sight and, I mean, this medically can happen and uh, could be part of history. And uh, something happened. Maybe the Lord smacked him up beside the head or whatever. Or he uh, took that clay and just smacked it in there. And all of a sudden, now he can see again. Maybe it's not really a miracle. It's just one of those things that can be explained medically. So here they're creating an argument. And do you know, this is the protocol of how those that reject biblical truth, if they can't somehow cast doubt, then they want to bring arguments against the Word of God and against truth. And if that fails, now here in the disputation, they brought the parents in to interrogate the parents. Now the parents only spoke to that which would not get them in trouble. This is our son. He was born blind. But how we got a sight, we don't know. They were scared to get involved. To be kicked out of the synagogue would also be kicked out of a temple as well. But to be kicked out of the synagogue was more than being cut out of a church or cast out of a church. In, in their culture and in their community, if they were cast out of the synagogue, they could not do business with other people. Any other Jewish person that would do business with them would have to suffer the same consequence and be cast out of the synagogue. They couldn't come to the synagogue. They couldn't do business. 
their whole life. They couldn't be involved in any of the social activities. Anybody that would include them in any social activity, they too would be kicked out of the synagogue. And so they were pretty scared. You know, (coughs) it's a sad thing and a tragic day when the only way a religion or a church can get its followers to stay in its and obey is through fear. I trust that our church family, are, that we are dedicated to God because we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul. I trust that you stay faithful to this church because you love the church, you love the truth, and you love God's people here. It would be a crying shame that anybody felt like they had to stay out of fear. And that's where they had them in this. When arguments didn't work, doubt didn't work, then they used blatant denial that Jesus is God. They simply stated, He's not of God. In verse 24, they said, Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. They simply denied that Jesus under any possibility or vague option, they simply denied that it was absolutely impossible for him to be of God. And so there was this blatant denial that they took in their next step. Uh, This was true only in their mind. Now the parents and the crowd, they did not argue or debate the issue for fear. We don't know whether they agreed with them or disagreed with them. But we know that they did not disagree with them for fear of being cast out of the synagogue. From doubt to disputations to denial to blatantly defy God and revile anyone who dares to defend Jesus. In verse 28 and 29, Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. They should have known. They had all of the scripture evidence. And he fulfilled the evidence and the the testimonies and the prophecies one after another. But it's as though they shook their fist. I don't care how right this man is. I don't care how right Jesus may be God. But we're not going to believe it. And we're going to defy God. And in our pride and our arrogance and in our stubbornness, we're going to be what we've always been. And we're not going to change. I don't care how explicit evidences will be. This was their resolve. Finally, in verse 34, they seek to destroy the lives of anyone who dare to challenge and expose their unbelief or to defend the truth. In verse 34, they said, they answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. It is interesting, as we get towards the end of the chapter, we revisit the, the question at the beginning of the chapter. The disciples, when they saw this man while he was yet blind, they asked the Lord Jesus Christ, was this man born blind because of his own sins or because of the sins of his parents? Jesus Christ responded, neither. 
but that he might glorify God. There was, as I mentioned just a few weeks ago, a a prevailing thinking that came from the, the Pharisees and Jewish leadership that when people were born or infants were born with maladies, whether it be blindness, crippleness, mental deficiency, or whatever it was, they believed that it was the result of the sin of a parent or a sin of that child even while he was yet in the womb. I don't know how you get that justification on that second part. Now, I could understand a parent in a willful, sinful life is involved in drunkenness and drugs, and the child has uh, alcohol, fetal alcohol syndrome, where, where the alcohol has a negative physical impact on the child. That's a real medical problem. Whether it be alcohol, whether it be drugs, we could say it was the sin of the parent that created the malady of the child. But in this particular case, the Lord Jesus Christ specifically said that it was neither. And we know that you and I cannot sin in the womb to, to an extent to create such a malady. That's, that's simply a physical impossibility. But do you know they had their theories? And unfortunately, their theories became into religious ritual. And now, because they rejected what Jesus Christ had to say at the beginning, that this happened so that God the Father could be glorified, they go back to their religious rigmarole and say, you are all together born in your sins. Not blaming the parents, but I would understand blaming him for sin before birth to cause his blindness. And thereby they cast him out of the synagogue. You see... When those that willfully reject Christ cannot win their argument for their unbelief by causing you doubt, by winning arguments, by simple denial, by defying God, there's something about such a heart that is not satisfied to walk away in their own decadence of unbelief. They have to destroy your life. They have to destroy the defender of truth. And this principle has never changed. You will find that there are those who reject God with such vehemency as these Pharisees did. And if you get in a conversation and and an experience with them, They are so committed to their unbelief and their level of unbelief that they will do something to try to destroy your life. Now, it may may not be to the extent that the Pharisees did, but they may speak maliciously of you. They may slander you. I heard, uh, and this is a great tragedy, and I was going to share this tonight. I may repeat it tonight. But I was preaching to, or not preaching, I was speaking to a preacher some time ago, and he shared with me a young preacher boy that called him up for some encouragement. And he said, I just took this church recently, 
And there was a pastor's fellowship. And at this pastor's fellowship, a preacher got up and said lies and many unkind things about me. This preacher doesn't even know me. I don't know him. He doesn't... He, he's never been around to see with whether what he said is true or not. It's not true. And I have no idea why he said these things at a big preacher's meeting about me and made such a public issue of it. And he said, I just want to quit the ministry. <laughs> I don't blame the young guy. I don't know what dispute or what, what there was. I don't know the rest of the story. But you see, when people believe the wrong thing, they're not happy simply to believe the wrong thing. They have to destroy those that want to follow Christ. And you will see that case after case after case that Christians have had to endure. The Pharisees cast him out of the temple, or rather the synagogue. They may have thought they won the battle in the minds of the people. However, they only heightened the fear to dare to disagree with them. In verse 41, Jesus pronounced God's verdict from heaven. Therefore, your sin remaineth. They were still lost in their unbelief and still under condemnation. The Pharisees thought they had won the spiritual battle by casting this man out of the synagogue, when in reality they were the losers in the spiritual war, because it is God who will cast them into the eternal lake of fire, where the fire is never quenched, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Nothing is more tragic than to have eyes that could see the truth, but to willfully and defiantly choose not to see the truth. Physical eyes to see, but spiritually blind and denying it. Now let's consider the good soil, which yielded a heart of belief, represented in the blind man that now sees. And as we come towards the end of the chapter, the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to him. The blind man did not get saved until after the Pharisees were done with him and cast him out of the synagogue. At the time he received the sight was not the time of his salvation. He received his sight, defended the Lord on some level, but still was lost. Up until this point where the Lord asked him, Dost thou believe? (coughs) And it is interesting, it says that the Lord went and found him. Do you know when there is good soil to work in? we are motivated and encouraged to continue to work it. To go back again. To try to plant the seed and to water it and to till it until it burgeons forth with faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Here, the Lord goes back, finds the man, and asks the question, Dost thou believe? You see, Romans 10.9 says that it is with the belief of the heart and the confession of the mouth, thou shalt be saved. Not until this point had this man believed in the heart on the Lord Jesus Christ and confessed his faith in him. There is a possible tragedy at this point that many Christians would have been satisfied 
with such a victory as they had seen in this man up to this point and have never come back to ask him, do you really believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? And here's a man that would have done some marvelous things and commendable things, but in the end, if it were not for beginning with verse 35, this man would still be lost and bound to hell. Christ came back to finish the job. Just as Jesus did, we must come back again and maybe again simply to ask, do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? We must be gracious to share this great question. We must provoke their thinking (coughs) unto good to examine their hearts and examine their faith. Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, we not only want to graciously knock on your heart's door, but we are compelled to be more proactive and persistent with the gospel message, do you believe? Not long ago, I told you of an incident where an automobile uh, went crashing off of West uh, Highway 34, just out west of here. I and some others from our church, we rushed over to the accident, and we did everything we could to pull the driver out of the vehicle. Because when we arrived at the vehicle, smoke was coming up out of the hood. And my concern was that this vehicle will go into flames. The vinyl, the plastics, the fuel, the oils, when the flames starts, they engulf quickly into very serious flames. And so I was going to do anything and everything. And and those of us working together, we were going to do anything, even in her reluctance to leave the car and even in all of her babbling and and, and we might say her, her uncooperative spirit. I became very adamant and strong and straightforward. You must get out of this car because it may burn and you will burn with it. Let me share why I was so adamant. Several years ago, when we were in North Platte, and uh, there was a man coming to the church, he traveled a great distance like some of our family do, and on his way home from church one Sunday, they come across a semi-fuel tanker that had crashed along the highway. Harold jumped out of his vehicle as quickly as he could and was running to the uh, truck cab because the guy was yet alive and moving to try to get him out of there and away from the tanker. But before he got there, the tanker erupted in flames. And it was so intense, all he could do was back away and watch the man burn alive. Our son come across an automobile accident. He was there when it happened. He and another person went over to the car and they opened the door and was trying to get the driver out. But the seatbelt was jammed and they kept trying and they couldn't get it. And by the time our son got his pocket knife out to cut the the seatbelt to get her out of the car, she was alive. She just couldn't get out. But by the time he got his knife out, it erupted in an infernal of flames, singeing his hair, his clothes, and they had to back away. 
and watch her burn alive. Folks, let me tell you something. The soul winner comes with heaven's gift basket containing the bread of life to the unbeliever's heart. We graciously knock, hoping the unbeliever will open their heart's door and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But when the sinner does not open the door, we knock a little more aggressive. We knock a little more louder. That's not good English, but that's what we do. We knock louder, hoping to be able to penetrate the door of unbelief, that they would open it and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. When they refuse, we, we, we graciously grab a crowbar and we want to pry the door open. We use God's heaven's means of, of maybe even a spiritual battering ram trying to get past that door of unbelief. And it's not because we're malicious. It's not because we're radicals. But it's because we are compelled by the love of God that if we fail, if we don't get the gospel to their heart, if they don't believe, they will perish and burn eternally in hell. My friend, Jesus came back again and asked, Dost thou believe? And the blind man said, How can I? But do you know he could have responded in several ways? And a lot of people would respond this way. When Jesus asked him, Dost thou believe? He could have responded, I've experienced a miracle. I was blind and, and the miracle and now I can see. I've experienced a miracle. Is that not good enough? And Jesus would have had to say, No, my friend, except a man believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he cannot be saved. The man who had been born blind could have said, But I called you one of the prophets. Is that not good enough? I defended you. Jesus said, No. Or would have said, no, that's not good enough. Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Because except you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot be saved. Whether you've experienced truly a miracle. This is not an imagination. This is not simply a, a, a mirage. It was really a miracle that took place that was undeniable. It doesn't matter if you've experienced a miracle. It doesn't matter if you've got... Right Bible terminology. Or he could have said, I withstood the bullying and intimidation of the Pharisees, even when my parents didn't. I didn't budge from the truth. I, I didn't budge from saying you're a good man. I didn't budge from saying that a miracle took place and that you have to be of God. Isn't that good enough? Jesus would have had to answer and respond to him with the word no. Because except a man believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he or she cannot be born again. He could have went one step further and said, Well, I am having to suffer persecution. I am being cast out of the synagogue. I will be ostracized from society. I won't be able to go home to my parents and find lodging and food, or they will risk being cast out of the synagogue. I cannot go find a job now that I have eyesight and physical ability to work, because if anybody gives me a job, they will be cast out of the synagogue. I cannot go to the, the uh, social parties like uh, celebrating liberty or celebrating this or whatever it is. I can't go to the synagogue. I am suffering. 
for you in what I've done. Is that not good enough? Again, Jesus would have had to say, no. Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Because except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Here is a man that had done all of the above and maybe more in Jesus' defense. But he did not even know who Jesus was when he was standing right there in front of him and talking to him. You see, all of these good things that he had done counted for nothing because he didn't even know who Jesus really was. He didn't even really know who God the Son was. So many people can be so caught up in works and not even know Jesus if he were standing in front of them. Ephesians says, not by works of, or not of works lest any man should boast. It is by grace through faith. In another passage, Titus, it says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. You see, it wasn't all of the good he had done. He had to repent and put his faith in Jesus Christ. The man asked, who is he so I can believe? And Jesus said, is the one you're talking to that you're looking at? And he says, I believe. We read these words, even though there's more to these two verses, but we read this in Romans 10, 14 through 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? You move on down to verse 15. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. That's the soul winner. That's the preacher of the gospel as well. The man said, I believe. Here is the great extreme. Once this man was blind, but now he could see. Once he was lost, but now he is saved. Simply, I believe. We ought to shout hallelujah for this man. How exciting this is. Do you know there are people here who have been saved? There was a point when you didn't believe. And there came that point that you saw yourself as a sinner, undone and without Christ, and you repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And you believed. Hallelujah. Now, by way of review, one extreme is willful blindness and the hardness of heart in unbelief. You may win your argument in your mind and you may win your battles with your friends, but now you have the tragedy of tragedies. You have the opportunity to see heaven's truth, but you close your eyes and believe a lie. You may laugh today, but tomorrow in the lake of fire you will weep and experience the gnashing of teeth. This tragedy is of your own making and choosing. There will be no second chance after death. There will be no mediator to advocate for you. And eventually, there will be no more tears of sorrow for your loss. Like the Pharisees, your sin remaineth in you. The other extreme is represented by the once blind man who now sees 
and believes. True, once he was blind, but now he sees. But that is not the greatest moment of it all. Rejected of men and religion, but accepted in the beloved. Once a child of the devil, now a child adopted into God's family. Once he was bound for hell, but now heaven bound for sure. When the Lord spoke in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Yes, here we have the ultimate of two extremes. Willful unbelief and choosing to believe. Every one of us here today or listening on the radio or or watching the broadcast will fit into one of these two categories, saved or unsaved, bound for heaven or bound for hell. Having listened to this message, you cannot say you are unsaved because you do not know, but you will be unsaved because you chose to be that way. What a tragic decision. Let me encourage the believers Be resolved in your faith and in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you know somebody that's unsaved, go back and ask. Jesus went and found them and asked, do you believe? Maybe they need that little provocation like this man needed. Father, we come to you and and, uh, we thank you for this record. Lord, Isaiah said you gather the outcasts, and, and in this record you'd gathered one of them. And Father, we thank you for your saving grace. And there is no sinner beyond the reaches of God's grace. And Father, for those of us that have received Christ as our Savior, we thank you for what you have done for us. Now use us for your praise and glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. For more information about Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland, Colorado, you may visit our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com. If you wish to donate to this radio ministry, please make your check payable to Foothills Baptist Church and mail to P.O. Box 771, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Or you may go to our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com and click on the Give tab. We would love to have you visit our regular Sunday services with morning worship at 9.30, Sunday school at 10.50, and Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. And until we meet again, be sure you are... Living by faith, living by faith in Jesus above.
Hi, folks. I'm James Morgan, a realtor with Grisham & Associates, LLC. I know it must seem like there's a million realtors out there making all kinds of promises. Want to hear my big marketing promise? I promise honest and fair dealings with all those I do business with. That may sound old-fashioned, and it is not very catchy, but it is true. I am your Colorado real estate specialist. Farmland, mountain cabins, or urban dwellings. When you work with my team, we'll get the right property for you and be upfront and honest with you every step of the way. Over the years, my clients have told me just that fact alone separates us from others in the industry. If you are considering buying or selling real estate, 
Call me, James Morgan, at 720-203-0731 or visit my website at coloradoproperties.online. No catchy slogan, just a client-first, honest real estate experience. Hit it, girls. Keep listening to the American Freedom Network. What type of financial advisor are you looking for? A lot of advisors work for some great companies that offer good products, but are they taking a close look at what truly matters to you? Most advisors are unfortunately one-trick ponies and come at you with the same strategy no matter what situation you are in. Most of the time, your advisor isn't even reaching out to you to review things and has no desire to actually build a relationship with you. You want to work with someone who's going to hustle their butt off and compete for you and make sure that you are maximizing your hard-earned dollars. I will work day and night for all of my clients and do everything in my power to deliver the best service possible. Reach out to me, Joey Jaquin, Joe Jaquin son, someone who is going to compete for your business and truly aligns with your conservative values. You can reach me at my personal cell, 602-909-9048. Again, 602-909-9048. Now is the time to fight for your child's education. We are enrolling now at Civica Academy Charter School in Millican, a tuition-free middle school high school. We are focused on smart and kind students who are prepared for the real world and love this country. We stand for the pledge. We shake hands. We don't have cell phones during the day and focus on pursuing an industry certification by graduation. We are proudly outperforming surrounding schools academically while raising up civic leaders. I believe in this generation, and we are prepared at Civica to change the world one child at a time. Visit us at civicaco.org. Hey, this is Rod from PCs and Parts in Loveland. We're your local computer and parts repair store. We have been in business for over 18 years, and we have been fixing computers and love doing that. If you're having anything with technical-related issues, come by and see us. To reach us, call us at 970-203-0696 or go to our website at PCsandparts.com. We'd love to talk to you about your particular problems. This is Rick Rodriguez, host of The Present Truth, Monday through Friday, 2 to 3. Topics, American World Hegemony, The New World Order, Secret Societies, One World Religion, Weather Warfare, International Wars, Transhumanism. Join me, 1360 KHNC. Hi, this is Tammy Cuthbert Garcia with Naturally Inspired Radio. Tune in Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. for the latest in natural health news. Get real solutions for healthy living and hear from our inspiring guests that are leading the way in health and freedom. You're listening to the Roar of the Rockies, KHNC, 1360 AM, Johnstown, Greeley, Loveland, Fort Collins. The views and opinions expressed on 1360 KHNC 